Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we're going to explore the results of the largest survey ever conducted to date with individuals who believe themselves to have experienced contact with non-human intelligence associated with unidentified aerial phenomena. My guest is Dr. Robert Davis, a neuroscientist who served as professor at the State University of New York for over 30 years. He is author of The UFO Phenomena, Should I Believe?, as well as Life After Death, an analysis of the evidence. He is one of four authors of a scientific report published in the Journal of Scientific Exploration titled, A Study on Reported Contact with Non-Human Intelligence Associated with Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. This is an internet interview once again, so I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Bob. It's a pleasure to be uh, with you. I'm uh, really delighted to have had a chance to review your research. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm a big fan, Jeff. Uh, it's uh, really interesting what you're doing in the sense that uh, I'm not aware uh, of any previous surveys that have come even close to the number of respondents that uh, you have in, in this, which is somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 people answered uh, your uh, online survey on SurveyMonkey. Uh, yes. The, um, when I was a member of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Experiences, I was granted the opportunity to conduct an analysis of this massive amount of data in over 3,500 individuals uh, and to co-author an article which appeared in the Journal of Scientific Information, uh, Scientific Exploration uh, last year. So, uh, since then, I, I resigned from free, but uh, following our survey study, which attracted me to become a member of free, we have accumulated a substantial amount of information that covers a wide range of physical, psychological, psychosocial, paranormal, uh, among other types of experiences that individuals claim to have had as part of the unidentified aerial phenomena, shall we use the uh, uh, acronym UAP, um, and uh, I don't contend to have the any firm answers. If anything, this study, which serves as the foundation for future researchers to build upon, if anything, more questions emerged uh, than answers, which is an important step in this evolving process. Let me ask you, how were people recruited? How did you publicize this survey? Uh, well, before I came on board of free, um, I, I was informed that the manner of recruitment was more or less um, informal. Uh, there were invitations that were uh, sent to various 
radio shows, uh, TV shows, uh, uh, to organizations in, in the field of ufology and parapsychology, um, among other types of uh, media forms to try to solicit and thus recruit individuals who claim to have had some type of interaction with this phenomenon and associated non-human uh, intelligences. So, you know, by and large, by the manner in which the recruitment process was conducted, we obviously are looking at a very specific subpopulation of the entire population. And some certainly will view that as a bias in nature. But how else can you get a, a relatively large, uh, as we have, a population base to study? Mm -hmm. uh, but nevertheless, Using a survey instrument uh, is is limited. There are inherent problems associated with any survey instrument in, in any experimental design. This is no exception. But here again, we have a large database trying to decipher what populations within it are more valid than others and to focus more attention on. Mm -hmm. Well, in other words, these people selected themselves because they believed that they had something important to communicate to you. And the fact that they were willing, at least a couple thousand, not a hundred percent of the participants completed all 500 questions, but that, that's a very serious thing for a person to sit down and answer over 500 questions. And you know something surprisingly, the vast majority did. Uh, we analyzed that bias in, in terms of speeders, those who completed it, those who may have uh, responded yes all the time or no all the time. But many of these individuals are highly motivated. Mm -hmm. uh, for the first time, they have the opportunity to express the unique experience that they had and and now, maybe for the first time, are given the opportunity to talk about it, at least to respond in some way. Uh, and provide, hopefully, some meaningful, objective um, information that we, at least, utilize to, to, uh, to meet our objective, to collect that large sample um, uh, population and to try as best as possible to make sense of the inherent data that was provided. One of the things that I found very important and striking is that none of the respondents uh, indicated that they had ever been diagnosed with a mental illness. Yes, and, that, and that, that's another uh, inherent limitation associated with with the study. We have to take their word for the fact that they did not uh, have an ongoing issue that's psychopathological in nature. Um, and the fact, however, that we have so many individuals in the study um, mitigates the potential bias of psychopathologies, which I'm sure is inherent within a certain percentage of this population. But, but given again the substantial numbers involved, you would tend to think, and not firmly, that, that any bias from that would be weeded out mm -hmm. or, or diminish in terms of the overall information or conclusions that, that were reached. We couldn't employ any standardized psychological battery. I, obviously, that's that's the next step for yeah. us or other researchers to, to do because of the time and obvious, obvious expense in, in doing so. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. I, I realize uh, there are costs involved, uh, plus the additional burden on the respondents. But uh, in your review of the literature, you pointed out something very interesting, which is that there's one group of earlier researchers into these kinds of phenomena who report that all of the people they interviewed or studied seemed to be psychologically healthy. There was no indication that you could attribute these reports to psychopathology or even to something like sleep paralysis. And yet another group of researchers suggest that this is all the result of uh, hallucinations and mental illness and other sorts of psychological disturbances. So it's it's as if the academic community is basically in in two opposing camps. Well, that, that is uh, very true, uh, and and by indirect relationship to prior studies, which is um, conflicting, as mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, we we can only uh, say that the next step would be obvious obviously, to incorporate a standardized psychological battery in subjects uh, that are carefully selected in terms of whether or not they have had a true UAP-like experience. Uh, One of the limitations is the criteria that we use in all areas of of parapsychology or consciousness studies. What's a true OBE, a true NDE, a true interaction also with a non-human entity, let alone a UAP? So uh, there are numerous inherent limitations that, that we are confronted with, which makes this phenomenon so difficult to adequately study, mm-hmm. uh, the major one being that it is seems to be a largely non-physical type of um, phenomena that, of course, is not ascribed to uh, traditional Newtonian laws of physics. So we don't even have the scientific principles to support this type of phenomena that does appear to involve an element or aspect of consciousness on the part of the experiencer. I want to come back to that uh, question of whether or not uh, the phenomenon is physical or uh, but l- let me uh, point out an, another uh, important finding which is that the great bulk of the respondents to your survey indicated that the experience was positive or, or neutral and on- only a small percentage felt that they were having negative experiences and if if this uh, kind of reporting was the result of a psychopathology one i think would expect many more negative accounts because one of the hallmarks of a, a psychopathology and in fact one of the i would call it a basic requirement is is that the person is suffering they're in pain well, you're exactly right, and and we can extrapolate just from that uh, that these individuals, by and large, in general, uh, do not have a psychopathology because, yes, uh, approximately three-quarters of our study population reported to have a very positive um, outcome 
or after effect, which covered a broad range of psycho-spiritual experiences that's consistent with the typical peak experience or non-dual type of of experience that that we're all familiar with, similar to that experienced in NDEs and OBEs, psychoactive drugs. And that's what's unique, in a sense, about this study. It does draw parallels to other types of phenomenon that obviously incorporate some aspect of consciousness. So these individuals, by and large, who are saying that the the experience is positive and that they actually wanted to continue their contact experience, especially if they've had repeated experiences of more than three or five experiences, they're more positive. It seems they adapt somehow to the repeated exposure to the phenomena and are not uh, fearful uh, anymore. But they, they, they become less materialistic, less egoic. Uh, they become more sensitive to the ecology, more loving, sensitive, compassionate, more humane overall, um, no longer fear death, have, um, uh, have a, a tendency to be more spiritual, more interested in uh, the psychic phenomena, among many others, uh, and not always Positive, but uh, there are there are certainly many many negative experiences, like in NDEs. Maybe ten percent of so of NDEs are, are hellish in nature. We see that here. The p- point is, are, are these individuals who are claiming a positive experience? Is it a peak-like experience that parallels those that we see reported throughout history in folklore, uh, and that we now? are currently studying in the form of OBEs and NDEs, among other types of, shall we call it, peak experience triggers. The yeah. UAP may be being just just one of many. Yeah. Uh, I seem to recall that about 80% of the respondents indicated that they had witnessed some sort of unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, yes. And uh, here again, while that's a, a very common type of it, uh, report, uh, we we don't entirely know or, or understand what that means to them. It, it could be your typical orb. It could be a, some advanced military aircraft. It, it could be a, 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 some spaceship from another dimension or planet. Uh, here again, we, we don't have the appropriate criteria to define exactly what that phenomenon was all about. Although they described the physical characteristics of it, uh, we could only infer that what they regard uh, most commonly as a, uh, a circular or a spherical shape uh, is a traditional type of uh, UFO saucer that's depicted throughout uh, uh, the literature and media forms. But uh, what what is particularly unique of this study is that about 80% claim to have an out-of-body experience. In other words, it's a non-physical type of experience and that their contact experience occurred via telepathy or as, as in the case of an OBE, as if they're floating or existing in a matrix, matrix-like reality, as opposed to the traditional concept that the abduction phenomena is largely physical. Here, Hopkins and um, I forget the other gentleman, Hopkins and um, well, of course, Whitley Strieber. 
Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Among a few others, they they painted uh, the the picture of the ph- abduction phenomena as being very negative, one to avoid. And we did see that, but it, our results contradict theirs, given the fact that the vast majority viewed it as a positive experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John Mack, too, uh, the psychiatrist from Harvard University, who did extensive study in the alien abduction phenomena back in the eighties, he con- he concluded that the p- individuals that he uh, studied did not suffer from any uh, unusual psychopathology and that the experience was largely uh, positive in nature. And it also goes back to what Alan Hynek, the leading uh, astrophysicist uh, back in the 60s and 70s, who led the formal investigations in Project Blue Book and others, made the conclusion that this phenomenon is both a physical as well as a mental um, um, experience, a psychic experience that's so foreign to our, I think you said, a terrestrial mode of, 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 of thought. Uh, and, and ufology seems to have digressed tremendously from, from then. And if, and if uh, Heineck and Mack, uh, among others, were alive today, I think they'd be uh, scratching their heads, expressing uh, great profanities about the lack of progress that ufology has made and and it is regarded of course as a pseudoscience if that and it's unfortunate because to me the UAP is like one-stop shopping it's like the Walmart of the paranormal in a sense you have all the elements here of of uh, non-local no non-local communication uh, OBEs uh, telepathic communication, uh, the absence of time and space uh, reported by individuals. And here again, aspects of quantum mechanics come into play here. Why are their experiences so uniquely similar to other types of phenomena? And why does it also ascribe to many of the concepts in quantum mechanics regarding uh, no time, no space. I can see 360 degrees. Um, I can move myself at will. Uh, among other types of atypical altered states of consciousness that defy logical explanation. But, but it, 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 and many parapsychologists also tend to avoid UAP as a serious area of study. And I understand it. I understand why. There's certainly many reasons, but the current state of affairs, as far as UAP research goes, is is limiting. It is we do not have the necessary required formal multidisciplinary approach that it deserves in order to understand the meaning and essence of a phenomenon that is so extraordinary that needs to be understood because I think it has especially important implications for psi, for consciousness, for physical and non-physical. Uh, interactions with non-human entities, and that that in and of itself is a separate phenomenon. Not only the the aspect of this this uh, glowing um, maneuverability of an object that defies laws of gravity and inertia, it seems, uh, but but also it 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 crosses over into the domain of of psi parapsychology, ESP, uh, and and positive psychosocial outcomes resulting from their experience. Mm-hmm. Now, I uh, am particularly interested, though, in the small subset of, of your sample, uh, 
I suppose the smallest subset is still like a couple hundred individuals who have had repeated contact, something like more than 10 times, uh, with non-human intelligences, and they have distinct waking memories of having been physically present aboard a, um, presumably aboard some sort of a craft. Uh, yes, and, and the majority of those who reported more frequent contact experiences, especially those who said over 10 times, were more likely to have a positive uh, experience as opposed to a negative one. Those, again, having uh, interactions in, in the, on the order of one to three did have, uh, by and large, more positive after effects, but a larger percentage of negative effects. Here again, we're looking at that adaptation process uh, more positive as, as they adjust to this uniquely must be frightening initial experience. Um, but only a quarter of the subjects actually reported to have had physical and conscious recall of being on board a craft. And, and it dispels again the traditional notion that all abductions involve the physical relocation of the individual to a physical craft. Three quarters again of the population said, no, it is largely non-physical. Um, we interact telepathically two-way. Uh, and the UAP may not even be part of that interaction. And here again, the results indicate we may be looking at two, many different populations here. One who has the physical interaction, another separately who does not have a physical interaction. And that is that raises a question for future researchers to address how best to get a homogeneous population uh, that is purely UAP in nature, purely uh, non-physical in nature. Uh, and, and what is this OBE-like experience all about? Um, and is this uh, a, an evidence of separation, of course, of consciousness from the body, as many contend it is? And it does it again, uh, is, uh, raise this, the, the, the question about whether or not this UAP experience that in, incorporates an OBE in a large subset of the population is similar to that described by Monroe and Manet. Arrow and many others researchers who have looked at the OBE and who believe that during an OBE there is an interaction with with very varying types of non-human entities. But the entities that that our study sample reported, uh, especially those who said that they had um, contact experience on board the craft, they were. Predominantly, not surprisingly, your, your typical small grays, but the next highest incidence of uh, entities experience were human looking, followed by the uh, recognized reptilians, insectoids, etc. But, but generally, it was the grays and human looking. So it's consistent, I think, with the more current perspectives on what these entities uh, are are about in terms of their frequency of contact associated with the UAP. I know that you separated uh, your analysis between those who reported physical contact and those who reported 
uh, non-physical contact, uh, somehow related to a, a dream, a vision, a telepathic experience. So, uh, but then when they described the nature of the entities they were in contact with, whether, uh, and I presume this is some sort of multiple choice question, uh, was it a reptilian? Was it a small gray? Was it a tall gray? Was it insectoid? Was it human? And, and so on. That, that the percentages were roughly the same for physical or non-physical. Is, is that correct? Yes. Yes. It's, that's true. Um, and, and those who did have or reported to have a physical contact did have um, the types of experience that have been recognized in prior research uh, by Hopkins and, and uh, a few others that included medical examinations and healings and implantations of a device. Um, but here again, the majority said that they are contactees. There's a non-physical element to this experience as opposed to abductees, a physical experience. And and there was no essential difference between those who had conscious and, and non-conscious recall. We were particu- particularly interested, of course, in those who have had conscious recall for obvious reasons. And, you know, we have to be concerned about prior research that used hypnotic regression as, as the methodology to, to retrieve memories about their UAP, uh, which was done by um, uh, Hopkins and others. And that's one limitation of, mm-hmm. of their work. Um, but it seems that the the alien abduction phenomena is not only poorly understood, there's conflicting evidence uh, generated by comparison of our study to others. But, however, our study is consistent with the more recent study by Martin and Stoner. Kathleen Martin is, is uh, leading the experience of research study uh, with MUFON, and the results they found in a few hundred individuals uh, paralleled ours. Uh, in terms of psycho-spiritual outcomes, in terms of paranormal activity associated with the UAP. And a large percentage of our population, whether whether or not they have conscious or non-conscious recall, they mention this paranormal aspect of the UAP in the form of orbs appearing in their house prior to abduction, uh, um, electrical equipment malfunctioning, um, uh, distortion of time and space. Uh, they do realize it's coming and something is happening, almost like being forewarned, maybe an, maybe an unconscious uh, type of recognition that something is about to transpire. Um, we can only we can only conjecture uh, that this phenomenon uh, may be again the type of phenomenon that must be uh, the, the the means by which uh, consciousness and other aspects of psi functioning are um, addressed. Not entirely, of course, and I do, I'm not at all denouncing ongoing research in other arenas. Uh, I, I greatly respect those who conduct this type of research, those who are truth seekers, and I like to think I am, which is why, what led me in, into this. But, but you can't help but acknowledge the, the complex, diverse range of anomalous experiences 
that that are part of the UAP. Uh, and unfortunately, the media uh, gives it a bad name. Just look, uh, Alan Hynek is now on TV being portrayed in, 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 in the TV series as it relates to Project Blue Book. It's glorified. It's it's dramatized. Uh, many people thus don't consider it a, a true science in and of itself, the way it is portrayed in the media and, and who especially the types of individuals that that are drawn to it. And, and it requires that multidisciplinary effort of study by physicists, biologists, psychologists, a whole range, parapsychologists, because it covers such a wide range of outcomes and experiences all within this unique phenomena. If I were to take these reports literally at face value, it would suggest to me that there are probably a dozen or two dozen different groups of, uh, of non-humans, perhaps extraterrestrial, but we don't know for sure where they come from. Let's just say they're from somewhere who are interacting with, uh, human beings here on this planet and doing it both, uh, through physical means and through, uh, interior, uh, means, uh, related to consciousness. That would seem to be the uh, most obvious interpretation of the data. Uh, yes, and and that that is the primary objective of this study. Uh, how does this phenomena interrelate with that aspect of a poorly defined term called consciousness? Um, what is clear is that consciousness or their perception of reality is is severely altered, and. And that alone, I think, represents maybe one of the greatest findings of our study, aside from the behavioral transformations that that did occur as a result of their experience. Um, uh, you know, one one obvious question pertains to whether or not these beings are actually interacting with humans. Uh, we see evidence of this throughout history in, in various um, folklore, the Bible, even cave drawings, etc., of non-human entities. We see it today. We see it today via different types of peak experience triggers. And we can't help but obviously wonder whether or not these entities are indeed real or do they represent an aspect of consciousness, an, an archetype, uh, a collective unconscious, as Jung would describe to maybe? Uh, do these beings change with time? And maybe they do, because uh, the angels and fairies and dwarfs of, of the folklore area may very well have transitioned to our modern day concepts of, of little greys. And these little greys, in a sense, really didn't appear uh, in terms of its recognition within the field of ufology until until when? Until the Roswell incident itself back in 47. And it was only till Betty and Barney Hill who claimed to have been abducted back in, I think, 61 or so, when they described these gray beings with the large head, big eyes, etc., three to four feet tall. Then, once that surfaced, everybody started to see them. Yeah. And, and, and this phenomenon changes with the times. 
Mm-hmm. We, we we saw that in the late 1800s when when society was enamored with the uh, the uh, uh, the dirigibles. So people began to see uh, unusual like phenomena in the air that that had uh, unusual uh, uh, fuselage that that mimicked the aerial craft of that time. But that evolved the Foo Fighters. These these balls of light that were magnetized in a sense to to airplanes in world war ii and then you had the 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 50s when individuals were saying that they were interacting with light beings from mars and moon and venus and dressing up and then it evolved further um to individuals reporting being abducted by these little grays and once it's dramatized in society especially with the book communion by whitley streber then then that becomes uh, what the archetype image of, of our modern era and subsequent uh, beings that are observed, maybe in conjunction with not only the UAP, but also DMT and OBEs. Then we start seeing the pronounced increase in gray aliens portrayed in their what hallucinations or or consciousness uh, or reality of some type. Are they generating it? Are individuals themselves, we cannot dismiss that possibility indeed, just like UAPs. Are people generating that? And you, and you expressed that. You covered that beautifully in your book, The PK Man, who, who claimed to induce aerial phenomena. And people today, in CE5s led by Stephen Greer and many others, um, call down this aerial phenomena. Yes, it could be a psychic projection of some type. I can't, I do not dismiss that as maybe the answer to the entire phenomena. Although it's, it's, it's hard to accept that conclusively as being the only mechanism involved, but it, it can be. But here again, we need to better understand this phenomena in order to better understand psychokinesis, uh, and, and the power potential power and ability of the human mind of which consciousness is obviously a part and does indeed affect physical systems we we see that this conclusively of how consciousness and intention can change quantum states physical systems we see it experimentally and the point is do we see this in the real world on an everyday basis, and if so, how is it manifested? And this is where we need to go. And one day, you can quote me on this, one day I do believe that once somebody integrates all this evidence from all the varying experimental evidence and and theoretical evidence in quantum physics, parapsychology, UAP, uh, etc., then, and only then, will consciousness or some aspect of it, be it a physical or non-physical phenomenon. If it's physical, maybe it's biophotons in the form of a torsion wave, a yet-to-be-discovered energy. Whatever it is that subserves this underlying psychic phenomenon as it's manifested in so many complex different forms, once it is recognized and agreed upon using yet-to-be-discovered scientific principles, it will be part of Einstein's unified field theory, along with gravitation, electromagnetism, and the two nuclear forces. I, I fully believe that to be to be the case. And unfortunately, we're not, I'm not going to be around to see that occur. 
and we're only scratching the surface, scratching our heads, uh, uh, in a sense, trying to figure out what is going on. Mm-hmm. And we're all in the same boat, despite the fact that many can tend to have the answers. As far as I'm concerned, they don't, and their egoism is showing. And we need a more formal, multidisciplinary effort, if I may say for the third time, within the public domain. I think, I think, yeah, the DOD, the CIA, they're doing their thing and their leap years, I think, ahead of, of where the public is. And they're not going to share their evidence with us. And they are studying this. They have. They're doing it right now. And where they are in terms of their knowledge of this phenomenon and psychic phenomenon, we know they're studying it. We know that. Um, we don't know where they are. It's, it, 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 you know, we're held hostage to their findings. They're not going to share it. So it's, it comes to us. We need appropriate support from, from the right type of sponsoring agencies like NSF. And we're not going to get it to fund this, this type of research. We're not going to get it. It's so unfortunate. It's, it's the issue of our times and it is so largely neglected. It's frustrating beyond belief. And and I commend you and others who bring this phenomenon to the stage. Uh, Unfortunately, it is not followed, recognized by mainstream science, especially materialists who who regard realism as as the way to go, not uh, instrumentalism that that incorporates a subjective experience. Um, you know, to, to mainstream science, reality is what your sensory system says. Well, that has to be challenged. And that's why we need a new paradigm to, to recognize this objective experience as an important aspect of understanding reality, something that may not necessarily have to be quantified by a standardized piece of instrumentation in a laboratory setting for it to be real. We have to shift the focus and manner in which science interprets reality and interprets evidence as fact. And that's why we see this impedance mismatch between all of these phenomena and mainstream science's viewpoint and aspect of what it's about. And the two don't align at all. And that's why we don't make progress. And that's why I congratulate you and others who devote their time and energy to a subject matter of such importance, such importance, because this area of of study does provide us with a keen insight and view of what life and reality, in my mind, is all about and what I am all about. Am I the brain? And that's the essential question here. Am I the brain or independent of the brain? And, and when we look at consciousness and how it's altered by varying types of phenomena and how consciousness can affect physical systems and other brains, we see this in the, with the EG activity. We see this with, with the electrophysiological activity in the body where the unconscious mind can re- respond appropriately before conscious awareness as if you know what's going to happen in the future. We see unique evidence of this in BEMS experiments, retroactive influencing, Dean Radin, obviously, who's to be more than commended for his work. Uh, Okay, ESP is real. I have no doubt about that. Mainstream science doesn't accept it. And the question is why? 
there's more than ample evidence to support that ESP, non-local communication, in all its variations, is real. And the implications of that alone is so pronounced, yet discarded by mainstream science. The implications are extraordinary in terms of how it might help the human condition in all of its manifestations. This has been healing for one, meditation for another, how we can affect the physical body and others in a positive way. And yet we're boggled down in a materialistic um, um, prescription world of realism, which does serve an important purpose, but it does not at all conform to where we need to go to better understand life and reality itself. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you've said um, two things that really stuck out in my mind. The first is that mainstream science is studiously ignoring uh, these subject areas on the one hand. On the other hand, you say you know for sure that the government is really looking into it. Uh, and it presumably has been for a long time. Now, I know that that's a claim made uh, in particular by Stephen Greer, uh, who claims to have evidence that the government has been exploring this since the 1940s. Is is that what you were referring to when you said we know? It's, it's not clear to me, uh, at least, you know, what the government knows and or what the government is even capable of knowing because this this kind of phenomenology is so self-contradictory in in many ways and nonsensical in many ways that it it's hard to imagine that government bureaucrats are even capable of of managing projects in this area. Uh yes and and we can only uh, surmise that some unacknowledged special access program is is functioning uh, with some uh, supportive funding. Uh, we know that Harry Reid, Senator Reid, uh, came out and, and said that, yes, uh, we have been undergoing a formal investigation of the UAP phenomenon. We know that that is real. Um, and, and even more recently called for uh, the continuation of funding into that topic area. Yeah. Um, now, I, I suspect strongly uh, that that we are doing that kind of research. It's clear that other countries are, uh, but here again, it's generally not shared with the public. So, yeah, do I, I don't have firsthand account, although I have spoken with many people who supposedly are in the know, who claim this to be true, but, but we can only speculate at best. Uh, I don't see why, however, the government wouldn't be involved in something like this, especially if they were involved in remote viewing, then they should understand that it is valid and that, you know, if the DOD is involved, they would utilize that that skill um, for what maybe, you know, purposes that are appropriate for spying or or has something to do with the defense of the country yeah. um, or control of the population. So I, uh, uh, it, the point is we can't ascribe to, to waiting for them to reveal what they know, if they know anything above and beyond what the public knows. So, you know, that, that, that's something separate, but, but interesting nevertheless. Uh, what we do know, however, based on experiments, is that, that this phenomena, in, in all its complexity, there are aspects of the phenomenon that are indeed real. But how do you synthesize and integrate all of this information into a coherent whole? 
how do we, how do we, that, that's what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm relatively new to this field. <laughs> I was, it was a sensory neuroscientist for many years, but, and a closet ufologist and parapsychologist. So I'm more than happy to have retired for several reasons. And, and it gave me the opportunity to do that, that uh, research with, with free, among other types of research and associated writings. I wrote a book on the UFO phenomenon. Phenomenon and life after death analysis of the evidence, and I have another book coming out in April that taps more into this uh, the unseen forces uh, towards an integration of science, reality, and you. And that I think is where we do need to go. How do we integrate all of the wealth of information that exists within the fields of parapsychology uh, and quantum mechanics? which has its defenders and, and, and skeptics. But how do we extrapolate from science, the field of subatomic particles and all its enigmatic ways to the macroscopic or cosmological aspect of, of nature? Do quantum processes exist in the brain? And could that possibly subserve the manner in which non-local communication processing uh, or activity occurs? We're searching mm-hmm. for a mechanism by which we see clear evidence of of non-local communication and the effect of mind on physical systems. We see this with the Global Consciousness Project. We see this with changing the pH in, in, in distant uh, instruments or mo- modifying uh, inferometers. Uh, uh, we we uh, see clear evidence that has been replicated. Meta-analysis supports all of these studies with logic chance of, of well over millions to one. I don't need, I don't know what kind of confirmation mainstream science needs beyond that which already exists. The point is, what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, on the extreme end of um, the UFO contact experience, uh, I have encountered people who would say they believe themselves to have come from another planet uh, or that they know personally other People walking around uh, here on Earth who look perfectly human, but they believe that they're really extraterrestrials. And I, I just wonder if any of the questions in in your survey uh, attempted to address that uh, level of the phenomena. No, not directly. Hmm. Not directly. Although I do know a lot of people that I would think do do, do come from another planet or another dimension. <laughs> Maybe I do, uh, but here again. Here again, many people do, and obviously the, 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 the diagnosis of schizophrenia or, or, or uh, dissociation at some level you know, comes into play, and we have to be sensitive to, to that yeah. and try to, as best as possible, exclude that population. But maybe they do. We know their body, their body shouldn't, uh, but maybe some aspect of consciousness does. I know people say they have out-of-body experiences. A vertical perception, which still is is controversial at some level, but if that is indeed true, and I don't I don't buy it a hundred percent. I think there's clear evidence it might exist, and we see that phenomenon of altered state of consciousness where someone feels apart or distinctly different than their body. They have a sense of expanded consciousness, that that unity experience with the universe. But neuroscientists will take it to uh, will take it and interpret it in a different way. Obviously, 
with a brain analysis, a brain explanation. Uh, and maybe that, that pertains to pathologies in individuals who do say that they come from some other place and not Earth. Uh, we, 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 you know, we're searching for that God spot or that, that spiritual neuron in the brain. And there's no clear evidence exists, mm-hmm. although the field of neural theology is, is trying to figure that out. We see individuals, for instance, when a tumor is removed from the inferior parietal lobe, they become more spiritual, more religious. We see that when that region is also stimulated, that they have this sense of unity, interconnectedness, certain aspects of an altered state of consciousness that mimics not entirely, but mimics to some extent an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to, neuroscientists in particular are trying to say, you know, this OBE, NDE, uh, DMT is a brain-based event. Here's why. I tickle mm-hmm. this and, and look at the, 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 the sensations. Uh, the, there's no evidence in the brain of it as of yet. Maybe there will be. There's no evidence of where creativity is in the brain or abstract reasoning or the sense of that I am experiencing the world now and that I have free will and can can dictate future efforts and influence the future. There's no clear evidence that the brain is doing that, but there's now clear evidence that quantum processes do exist in the brain. And that's very interesting because it then ties in to theories in quantum mechanics that don't ascribe to clear uh, materialistic Newtonian principles of science. Mainstream science scratches their head for the most part when they when they come in contact with theories in quantum mechanics, but we see it being borne out in processes of the brain. You know, look, each each neuron of the brain, uh, if we were to make an analogy with a computer, you would need a computer the size of the United States to perform the function of just one neuron. And we have, yeah, hundreds, billions of neurons in the brain, let alone the synaptic uh, connections and, and proteins that, that, that influence uh, neurologic transmission. But we see biophotons light energy radiating from areas of neurons and DNA in the brain. Very recent research is moving in this direction, trying to uncover if there is a potential energy that subserves this remarkable complex brain that performs its function at light speed. And it seems that quantum processes allow for this to occur. But at the same time, these quantum processes, if they do in fact occur, which it seems it does, Yale professors recently acknowledged that in in one study. Um, Then you can say that maybe the principles of quantum mechanics can be applied to the human condition. And if that is true, take it to the next level, then maybe the enigmatic behavior of subatomic particles and the associated observed effect, entanglement, superposition, etc., that cannot be explained by current scientific principles, maybe that is incorporated in human function. And if that is the case, and if the brain performs its ability in that way, in part, maybe that will explain non-local communication. It may explain how maybe an en- a radiating energy from my DNA and associated neurons are actually in- interacting with, influencing another person's brain. We see this happening. 
We see this happen, especially in twins and in people who are emotionally close to each other. It's more than just a gut feeling that my child is, is hurt in the playground. And I have that sensation. I go to the playground and I see that child hurt. This happens all the time. We see it in the laboratory setting too, obviously. But now we're beginning to see quantum mechanics inside our brain. What are the implications? What are, and that is, is where we need to go, trying to piece together the anecdotal evidence as well as the experimental evidence from the phenomena that we address, tie it as best as possible to existing scientific principles, which are still evolving. Yeah. You seem and to be suggesting that we, we have all of these anomalies in, in almost every field of science and, and particularly relating to parapsychology and the paranormal and that you're suggesting that humanity as, as a whole may have evolved to the point where we're capable, uh, if we were to launch a massive effort of integrating all of these anomalies and coming up with a, a new paradigm that would literally uh, transform the human race it's essential it's the only way to go that's my gut feeling based on all the information I'm, I'm trying to synthesize and integrate as best as possible I could be completely wrong but we need somebody I'm not saying me I, I, I know something in one discipline we need we need many people across many disciplines to look at that just what you're saying to take it to the next level a paradigm shift is more than needed without and you can make a strong case for that and, and in my upcoming book I, I, I try to as best as possible uh, and I, I don't think it's difficult to make that case but to make that case we have to look at the, the evidence presented by your guests yeah. in, in all the fields that they represent Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the associated evidence from their studies and theories, anecdotal and experimental. Um, it's not a bold leap to say that, that we need this type of paradigm shift to shift away from realism to something that begins to incorporate the subjective mm-hmm. conscious experience as a means to say it's valid, it's real, even though I can't quantify it. I could qualify it, but it should be taken much more seriously within the domain of so-called science, which is severely lacking in its ability to explain the types of phenomena we are dealing with. That's why it is so frustrating. It's so frustrating for me to see ufology going nowhere. I applaud those who are involved with MUFON. I I think that's wonderful. We'll never get answers about what UAPs are all about. I I doubt the existing formal organizations are going to make any um, bold uh, discovery. I doubt it. Uh, I think the most important piece of the UAP puzzle is to look at its effect on those who experience it. Because here, here we see how it integrates with other phenomena. And that's what this study that I was a part of is all about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Trying to better understand psi using a different peak experience trigger, shall we call it. And yeah, I'm convinced that what we're looking at here is something that, that again, uh, is similar to parallels, the OBE, NDE, DMT, the psychoactive experiences, the shamanic journeys, uh, certain aspects of meditation, etc. 
and, and the UAP is unique in the sense that, that it seems to incorporate a variety of these phenomena, as well as interactions with non-human entities. That's another piece of the mm-hmm. puzzle in terms of whether or not that is a, a fantasy, a product of, of, of hallucination, um, something DMT may generate in, in, in the in Now, the DMT is uh, it's a drug. Uh, I believe it's actually produced naturally in the brain. In fact, naturally in uh, most uh, animals. Uh, I think it's produced in, in all animals, in all living things. Uh, it's not produced in fungi and and something else. It's, it proliferates. The question is what 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 is uh, what is the role of DMT in the body? We we see this uh, in my in rodents. Uh, and there's evidence that it does exist uh, in, in blood plasma in humans, uh, where it's generated, maybe in the pineal gland, as some people suspect, you know, who knows. But more importantly, if I was to take ayahuasca, which contains dimethyltryptamine, uh, a potent form of that psychoactive drug, um, why do I have these incredible experiences, uh, which incorporate a variety of of altered states of consciousness. I've never done it. I'm tempted to. I've never done it, though. But, yeah. but um, uh, it also incorporates interactions with non-human entities. I understand about 50% of people who have taken it in an experimental setting report contact with non-human entities. And even though that contact is interior, completely non-physical, they are convinced that it is ontologically real. They convince us real, like individuals who experience a UAP and, and non-humans associated with this are realer than real. Like talking to a member of their own family. You know, you know what really uh, gets me about DMT? Rick Straussman, uh, who of course did uh, the initial research in, in DMT at the University of New Mexico, I believe, back in the 1990s. Yeah. He met with with um, John Mack. Uh, the again, the psychiatrist from Harvard who did uh, extensive research in alien abduction phenomena, and and uh, you can find a, a YouTube of Rick Strassman talking about his meeting uh, with John Mack, uh, whereby they compared the anecdotal experiences of individuals who took DMT relative to the anecdotal experiences of those who had an alien abduction phenomenon, and Strassman said boldly. We were blown away by the similarities of the two experiences. Mm-hmm. It says a lot. It says a lot. And it goes back to what Heineck is talking about, what Ballet is talking about, John Keel, and a select few others, whereby the, the, there is a physical and non-physical aspect to the phenomenon. It may very well likely is triggered by different types of events, uh, one of them being DMT. The question is why the similarity and is it a brain-based, purely brain-based event, or does it contain an aspect of consciousness that is independent, possibly, of the brain and may even well persist uh, after bodily death? Those are all questions to be I- explored. Uh, one last thing I'd like to explore with you, Bob. 
And that is uh, Jacques Vallée's notion that the this phenomenon, the UFO and assorted phenomena related to it, represent what he called a control system, that there's some sort of an intelligence. He doesn't know where it's from. He suggests it's probably not extraterrestrial, but it's attempting to manipulate the human race by uh, operating at the unconscious level, by producing religions and mythology and things that uh, are like the implicit operating system that humans uh, follow. Um, how do you respond to that? Uh, we, we see many individuals uh, saying just that, that there are you know, these beings behind the scenes uh, you know, orchestrating <laughs> human behavior. Uh, you can make a strong case for that. How many books have been written on this topic? It's, it's, it's remarkable. We, 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 it may very well be a control system. People call it the jinn or tricksters or, uh, et cetera. And, uh, the greys and, and associated beings with UAPs may represent another form, uh, or there are beings that coexist with us, we can only speculate, obviously, um, maybe they're helping us uh, evolve spiritually. Who, who knows? Who knows? It's all conjecture, obviously. And, and that, that's part of the problem. I, I enjoy reading about that. I respect valet, certainly. Uh, but we have to be careful about whether or not to uh, uh, interpret everything we see on the topic literally. We 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 can be drawn into that uh, very very easily. I forget the psychological term, a confirmation bias. We agree with things that are consistent with our beliefs, and we have to be objective. Easier said than done, obviously. But how do you separate the fact from the fiction, the sense from the nonsense? It's, it, it, there are very clever deceptors within our fields. And, and that's in part why that, that lack of science or existing pseudoscience in many, many ways uh, turns off mainstream science. And that's why that paradigm shift is so important, uh, so that we have the right uh, scientific methodology. Uh, hopefully that that will evolve into new scientific principles to address the recent discoveries that we are seeing over the past few decades by by futuristic thinkers, outside-the-box thinkers, like you and many other of your guests who are on the leading edge and, and uh, are, are seeking truth. Uh, you, the viewers need to, of course, be aware that not everything that is said on these topics are real or true, and to be be careful uh, to 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 be selective in what you regard as as real. I think uh, skepticism can be a very healthy thing when when it's uh, especially when we apply it to ourselves. Without question, uh, skepticism is in, incorporated in the scientific method, but that scientific method has to be tweaked and modified uh, with the times mm -hmm. and with the research that, that is being um, exposed in very interesting areas, UAP being just one of several. Yeah. Well, Dr. Robert Davis, it's been a real pleasure having this conversation with you, and I'm looking forward to uh, uh, another opportunity when your new book comes out in a few months. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate this opportunity. Thank you for being with me. Thank you.